Hi, and welcome to the Reef Roundup podcast, where we dive into marine conservation stories from around the world. We're your hosts. I'm Graham. And I'm Tamara, and we can't wait to dive into this episode. Join us and meet some of the many amazing people who are doing exciting work to save the ocean for future generations, with a focus on restoration, ecology, and environment. We hope today's show is a wake-up call, but also brings you both hope and inspiration as you learn about the amazing work that's being done and how you too can be an ocean champion. Let's get started. Just a quick heads up, this is one of our episodes which was recorded in Bremen, Germany at the International Coral Reef Symposium, so you'll hear a reference to that in the episode. All right, here we go. Hello, this is Graham Patterson and Tamara Silverstone reporting from the International Coral Reef Symposium in Bremen, Germany for Pacifica Radio Network. I'm here today with Zach Rago. Zach is perhaps best known for his starring role in Chasing Coral, which made a huge impact when the research it's based on was first shared with coral scientists at the last International Coral Reef Symposium. And then, of course, when the film was released to the world at large, shortly afterwards on Netflix. Personally, I, I'm so honored to be sitting with you today. The film made a huge impact on me. I actually can blame you slightly for uh, ending up quitting my job in healthcare because I'd been a diver for so many years and was seeing exactly you know, what you reported on in the film, reefs dying, degrading, bleaching, etc., and didn't really have the context for what, what I was seeing. I just observed it. And the film is really what first gave me a lot of passion and looking at this whole system and maybe making some changes myself or trying to be part of some of the solutions. So first of all, thank you for that. (laughs) Hearing those stories, for me, it's amazing that after even all these years, I continue to meet people and and share these stories and see how the, uh, the film impacted people and inspired people to change careers or to pursue their doctorate or to do all of these um, just different pathways of life. And that's always very special for me, even all these years later. So thank you. So in the film Chasing Coral, we learned that you have been a coral enthusiast from a very young age. And what first made you fall in love with coral? Yeah, so, I mean, my introduction to the ocean, obviously, is somebody that grew up in the Rockies in Colorado, kind of came in a roundabout way. I was very lucky to have um, two parents that are educators, and um, my dad actually runs a program or is a part of a program that brings high school students to the Big Island of Hawaii every summer for kind of like a marine biology high school credit course. And so very young Zach kind of grew up shadowing you know, these high school kids that were learning these things and getting to go snorkeling. And that was my introduction to the ocean. And um, I think I just fell in love with, you know, how different and novel it was from where I grew up, but also just the scale, right? And feeling like you're almost in a place that you're not supposed to be because it's not, you know, the medium that humans were built for. And so right off the bat, I, I certainly fell in love with that aspect of the ocean. And I think the corals kind of came later for me and in particular um, through the aquarium world. So I worked in that space for many, many years. And I think just through the husbandry of creating reef aquariums, I started to have the capacity to spend so much time around them and begin to kind of, I guess, be able to see them on more of their time scale rather than ours and be able to see the things that actually make them animals, which are, I think are very difficult to do if you're not, you know, 
experienced with the ocean or working in the aquarium industry, they are just pretty rocks to many people, right? But as you get to know them, you, you certainly begin to see like these other dimensions that are so unique and almost alien-like. And um, yeah, I was just hooked on it. It, it. I just kind of fell in love with it and never really turned back. And I was lucky enough to kind of seek out and find opportunities all the way in Colorado to where that worked out. And I got to continue working with them. Amazing. And what what about your favorite coral? Is there one or, you know, that really... So my favorite coral, and I've got it on my, my COVID mask here, is Euphilia. There's a couple of different species. They're all phenomenally beautiful, but um, they're commonly called like the frog spawn coral, but they come in these crazy like purples and greens and blues. And um, quite frankly, they just look like something out of like the Avatar film, almost like anemones, but they have skeletons, obviously. But yeah, they're just stunningly beautiful. And they've got these giant polyps that wave around in the water. And uh, for whatever reason, that's always been the one that um, I've been most drawn to. I, I think they're just stunning. Awesome. And, and just for our listeners, I'm looking at Zach's mask, a very beautiful purple, green, multicolored uh, uh, mask. So for corals such as this one, your favorite and other coral, especially for our listeners who maybe haven't watched this film, right? Chasing Coral. Can you can you describe a little bit about what this ecosystem is going through, what coral reefs are experiencing? Yeah, I, you know, the film certainly focused very heavily on the aspect of coral bleaching, and I think that's probably what most people are going to be the most familiar with, because in 2016 and 2015, and really 2017 as well, um, we saw the largest scale mass bleaching event that, you know, this planet's really ever seen, or at least in modern history. But honestly, the stressors that coral reefs are facing are, are much broader than even just the climate change aspect and the warming aspect. There's localized stressors that are certainly also playing a, a real significant role. And those are the problems that we can actually solve as well, right? So things like overfishing and um, nutrient loading from rivers and just different methodologies of fishing as well. And um just different communities that treat and have different understandings of what the coral reef system does for them economically and, and how do we reach people and, and kind of cultivate that sort of education where we can get a little bit more stewardship um, on the ground, particularly in some of these places that are, you know, a little bit more underdeveloped. But yeah, the, the list just kind of goes on and on in terms of like the threats that are facing coral reefs. You know, and the beauty of being in a, a place like ICRS right now is that you get this collective of so many people that all are passionate and loving for this place and for this system. And you're seeing really incredible research coming from so many different perspectives and coming from so many different backgrounds. And, and um, that's really cool to see. And that's quite special, I think, to kind of also have that like bonding amongst people who share that common passion, but are all doing remarkably cool work in incredibly different ways, which is um, definitely the highlight for me being here. And also somebody that has kind of moved away from the coral side in terms of my own research. It's fun to like be back in that world and be able to go sit in on some of the bleaching talks. And um, obviously I'm still passionate about it, even though it's not the, the main focus of what I'm doing now. So can you tell us a little bit more about what you're up to now? Some of your more current research, as well as to you, the importance of art and storytelling in science communication? Yeah, so um, ultimately after a few years... Um, working with the film so I actually um, was part of the impact campaign that we ran with Chasing Coral so we did a bunch of incredible stuff both in kind of the political realm as well as the education space but 
ultimately I wanted to go back to school and pursue my PhD. And so I, um, I got a position working with Dr. Elizabeth Maiden at the Hawaii Institute of Marine Biology. So really everybody in our lab kind of work focuses under this umbrella of coral reef halos, which at their, their simplest is um, when you look at a satellite imagery of patch reef, there's this tendency in many circumstances to kind of see these like barren rings of sand around them. And we don't fully understand the underlying like ecological mechanisms that drive those patterns. And so my research right now is kind of teasing apart one of those possible um, drivers and in particular kind of this notion of a landscape of fear. So I look at how predator-prey dynamics and kind of the perception of fear or perception of predation risk um, within small herb herbivorous fish um, kind of drives where they're willing to go to feed away from the reef um, or their protection, so to speak. And so I basically set up these experiments where I've kind of got like a central refuge, which represents the protection of a coral reef. And yeah, and then I just scare smaller herbivorous fish basically with much scarier, bigger fish and monitor kind of how they move through space and how much they graze and where they do that grazing. And hopefully long-term we can figure out exactly what's happening with these halos and with these patterns. And um, yeah, because we can see them from space, they provide a very unique opportunity that they could possibly be very cost-effective and, and you know reasonable conservation tool in the future where we can look at satellite imagery from some of these very remote places or very expensive places to work and maybe make some, um, you know, assumptions or determinations about what's going on within that ecosystem based on how vegetation's changing. So yeah, it's a, it's a definitely a little bit of a, a different turn from the coral side of things. Um, but what I love about Elizabeth Maiden and her entire lab is, is she very much is still, you know, kind of aligned with my interests in the communication side of things. And, you know, doing science communication in really effective ways and also going beyond, you know, the the graphs and pictures we see here at ICRS and doing things that are more meaningful with the community and, and um, this kind of bridge between art and science, which I've always been quite fond of. Um, you know, so one of the really cool things that I love is, uh, I guess a year ago, we had a artist in residence in our lab who basically spent an entire semester working with everybody within our lab and learning about our research and producing a piece of artwork that kind of represented everybody's individual work, which is so cool. And we have really amazing murals in our lab and um, actually getting one built more for the entire institution right now. And yeah, so it, it's just been a really nice fit, um, both from my own scientific interests, but also like having the support system and understanding that these are like core important things to all of us in, in my, um, in my world right now. And, um, very thankful for that. And obviously, you know, chasing coral will never go away. I still get probably, I don't know, five or six emails uh, every month of, you know, just a random teacher in Arkansas that wants to, you know, have a chat with their students. And I do my best to find time and, and be able to um, still have those conversations and those types of interactions. And yeah, who knows, maybe one of my uh, my PhD chapters um, will end up being a little bit more outreach focused, but when, we'll, we'll see when that time comes. But um, yeah, both those things are still very much ingrained in, in who I am and hopefully in the work that I'll do forever. I, I don't think I'll ever be able to get fully away from the outreach. It's important and it needs to happen. And it's something that I think all scientists need to, you know, focus on a little bit more, or at least, you know, take a little bit more time and care to be able to eloquently and like digest, create digestible content for people that's actually useful and to share stories, make connections like you it's not all you don't have to be objective all of the time you, you can be objective in your science but i think it's a 
a really lovely thing to be able to like tell stories and relate to people and like provide context, especially when you're working in within communities, you know, where you're doing your research. I think Hawaii is a very unique place and very different than many other universities, I think, throughout the States, because you do have this, um, you know, very different cultural aspect in, in the place that you work. And um, you have to have that mutual respect and that mutual, um, you know, reciprocity and understanding that you're working in a, a in a place that has this historical context that's not fantastic right and i think it's just very important that we're in, inclusive of the the people we go out of our way to create the right connections and create the right partnerships within those communities and um, i'm certainly seeing a lot more of that happening at the hawaiian city marine biology which is which is a fantastic thing and I, i'm certainly happy to um you know be part of that and continue to see that grow as well Fantastic. And just in closing out, you know, we've just uh, wrapped up. It's the final day of the conference today. And you've been to a lot of talks, seen a lot of new things presented. And and do they give you any hope or do you feel a impending doom or kind of what, what are you, what are your thoughts and feelings coming out of the conference? Yeah, you know, yeah, I, I think, um, I didn't go to as much choral talks as I probably should have, so I probably feel more optimistic than many people, I would think. But all that being said, you know, we're, I think everybody at this point is aware that the situation that chorals are in is quite dire, and, um, you know, the, fe- the future is going to be bleak no matter how you cut it. But I think all of that being said, there's so much cool work being done here. I think it's very difficult to not come out optimistic given just seeing a community like this come together, people from all over the world, um, gathering in one place and sharing ideas and, and sharing science and data and building collaboration and sharing stories. It's hard not to come away from something like this and, and not feel at least some form of optimism, right? Despite the projections for corals and all of those things, you've got, you know, I don't know, a thousand people in one room that deeply care and are doing everything in their power to learn how to do better and how to protect these places. And so, yeah, I, I think you have to walk away optimistic after something like that. Fantastic. Well, thank you again, Zach, for sitting down with us and uh, really appreciate all the work you're doing and for you sharing your time. I appreciate you having me. It's been awesome. Thank you for joining us for another edition of the Reef Roundup podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please take a moment and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to add us on Instagram at Reef Roundup for news about the ocean, inspiring stories, and more. You can also find more about us as well as our guests at reefroundup.com. We release a new episode every two weeks. See See you soon. soon.